0: We're in a sermon series called Discovering Joy. We're working our way through the book of Philippians, verse by verse. If you weren't here last week, uh, you can get a CD at the information table or listen to it at uh, rockbrook.org. Philippians is the happiest, most joyful book in the Bible. And as we begin today, I'm going to start by pull out your uh, uh, outline out of your worship folder, and at the top, I want you to write down four words. There's no fill-ins for these. Uh, These are free and uh, this is bonus material. Just write this down at the top of uh, the outline. There's four common barriers to joy: four kill joys that can come into your life and kill your joy if you're not prepared for them. So what are they? The first one is pain. Pain is a kill joy. It's hard to be happy and in pain at the same time. Another one is picky people. Picky people are a common killjoy in life. They can be uh, irritating, demanding, uncooperative, and they can rob your joy. Third word is pressure. Pressure you put on yourself, internal pressure. Pressure that comes from the outside. Other people, situations, external pressure can kill your joy. And then number four is problems. We all face problems every day that can kill our joy. So pain... Picky people, pressures, and problems. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 30, Paul talks about all four of these killjoys. And then he gives us an example of how to be happy no matter what's going on in your life. Paul had led a hard life. He's been jailed, whipped, beaten, faced death again and again. Five different times, the Jews had given him 39 lashes Uh, Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned outside of a city and left for dead. Three times he was shipwrecked. He spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. He was bitten by a poisonous snake. He'd been hungry and thirsty, gone without food. And he did all of this while suffering from an ongoing physical ailment. Now Paul is in prison in Rome with a guard chained to him 24 hours a day. He has every reason to be unhappy. Uh, Paul had every reason to be depressed, having a pity party. But instead, he writes the happiest, most joyful book in the Bible. How does he manage to do that? Philippians 1:12 through 30, he's writing to his friends in the Philippian church, and he addresses the four kill joys. And then he tells us how he's maintained his happiness in spite of everything that happened to him. Uh, the key verse is verse 27. Let's read this one out loud together as we start today. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ. Whatever happens, no matter what happens, how can I be happy? Paul gives us four habits. First one, look at every problem from God's viewpoint. If I look at every problem from God's viewpoint, I can be happy. Happy people have a bigger perspective. Happy people see the big picture. They see things from God's point of view. When you don't see things from God's point of view, you can get discouraged, frustrated, you get unhappy. But the truth is, no matter what's going on in your life, God has a plan for it. God is working out a plan. He takes all our mistakes, all our failures, the mistakes and failures of other people, he takes them all and God fits them into his plan and he works it for our good. And Paul knew that. And that perspective changed how he viewed his situation. Verse 12, he says, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me has helped spread the good news. Ever since Paul became a believer on the Damascus Road, he had a dream. Uh, His dream was to go to Rome and preach the gospel. Rome was the capital city of the empire. Rome was the center of the universe in that day. And Paul had this dream of going to Rome. He wanted to go to Rome, rent the Colosseum, and do a Billy Graham crusade. That was his plan. Get everybody together and preach the gospel in Rome. God had another idea. God's idea was for Paul to go to Rome as a royal prisoner of Caesar. God wanted Paul to go to Rome in shackles and chains. Why? Do you know who Caesar was at this point? Caesar was Nero. Nero was as wicked and as bad as you can get. Nero hated Christians. Nero persecuted Christians. Nero martyred Christians for sport. That's how bad this guy was. And so Paul, as a royal prisoner of Nero, has a royal guard chained to him 24 hours a day. Paul was kept in the royal palace in prison. So he had access to people that he never would have been able to talk to. He's a very important prisoner. And he's chained 24 hours to a palace guard for two years. And they change guards every four hours. So two years, every four hours, over two years, Paul had 4,380 conversations with Nero's guards. I mean, you wonder, who's the real prisoner here? Paul or the guard that's handcuffed to him for four hours, okay? Paul's sharing the gospel with with the whole phalanx of Caesar's guards. And in chapter 4 of Philippians, he tells us the result. He says some of Nero's own family had become believers. Because Paul was a prisoner in Caesar's palace in Rome. He wasn't preaching on a street corner somewhere. He's preaching in the emperor's house. Now, a second benefit... That While Paul was in prison, he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. He wrote four books of the New Testament while he was in prison. Which would have had the bigger impact? Paul speaking one time to a large crowd preaching the gospel or writing four books of the New Testament that we still have almost 2,000 years later? It's obvious. And that's why Paul says, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me has helped spread the good news. Paul said, I got my plan God's got a bigger plan. So I need to see it from God's perspective. I want you to think of a problem you're facing right now. Think of a problem uh, in your life. And, And let's just stop and let's just pray for just 30 seconds here. Would you pray with me about your problem? Let's just say, God, help me to see this problem from your point of view. God, give me your perspective on this problem. Let me see it with eyes of faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, anytime you have a problem that starts getting you down, you need to learn to see it from God's point of view. What is God doing through this? What is God's purpose in this problem? Because when you face a problem with faith, two things happen. Two things happen. First, anytime I face problems in faith, it's a witness to unbelievers. When Christians handle big problems with faith, it's a witness to unbelievers. Verse 13, Paul says, For everyone here, including all the soldiers in the palace guard, know that I'm in chains because of Christ. Well, I guess so. Paul's had 4,380 conversations with them. Unless they're slow, somewhere along the line, they got it. It was a witness to unbelievers. Second, it's an encouragement to believers. Verse 14, Because of my imprisonment, many of the Christians here have gained confidence and become more bold in telling others about Christ. When you face a problem from God's perspective, when you face it in faith, it's a witness to unbelievers and it's an encouragement to believers. Have you ever thought that God might use your problem for the very same reason? Whatever your problem is, if you'll look at it from God's perspective, you'll see the purpose in your problem, and that'll help you to maintain your joy. Number two, second habit. I can be happy no matter what if I never let others control my attitude. Never let others control my attitude. In Philippians 1:15 through 15-17, Paul describes four kinds of people. Three of them are killjoys, one of them are good. Here's the four kinds of people. He says, there are critics who are slandering me and creating controversy. There are comrades who are standing with me as loyal friends. There are competitors who are preaching Christ out of rivalry. There are conspirators who want to make my problems worse. So about the critics, Paul says it is true that some preach Christ because they are jealous and quarrelsome. He says they're jealous and quarrelsome. You know, jealousy is usually the motive behind some sort of criticism. You know, when people become critical, it's usually because they're jealous of what's going on, or maybe they're just quarrelsome. They, they just love to argue. They love conflict and controversy. They love a good cat fight. They're contentious, critical. But few things can suck the joy out of your life faster than criticism. You're criticized at work or by friends or neighbors. Your stomach starts churning. Why does criticism hurt so much? Because we all want to be loved. We all want to be accepted. We all want approval. But let me give you a little happiness hint here. You don't need other people's approval to be happy. You don't need other people's permission to be happy. You are as happy as you choose to be. Now, if they're unhappy, that's their choice. But you don't have to depend on other people's approval to be happy. In fact, if you don't have their approval yet, you're probably not going to get it. And you're going to be miserable if you try to live for the approval of everybody else. And so what Paul's modeling here is never let others control your attitude. Some people are just jealous, quarrelsome, and cranky. Nothing you can do about it. Verse 16, he talks about the good guys, his comrades. He said, others preach Christ from genuine goodwill. These do so out of love. And they know that God's given me the work of defending the gospel. Paul says there are genuinely good people out there that are on my side. And they're preaching the gospel out of love. Verse 17, he talks about another killjoy, the competitors. Others preach Christ insincerely from a spirit of selfish ambition. They are driven by their ego. And so they, they, you can tell somebody's driven by their ego when they're putting other people down. They have to tear other people down in order to build themselves up. That's a spirit of competition. And a spirit of competition can come into your life in so many areas. And you have to guard against that spirit of competition or it's going to rob you of your joy. Don't let that control your attitude, those who are trying to compete with you. Verse 17, he talks about conspirators. He talks about the enemies, those who want to just mess him up. He says, other people just want to stir up more trouble for me. They want to add to my pain while I'm in prison. And that just sounds crazy, doesn't it? Why would somebody want to do that? Remember last summer we did the series called You Make Me Crazy? And we talked about crazy makers You know, as you're you're reading through this, you may think, I need to go back and listen to that series from last summer because there are just crazy people that can come into your life. You face all four of these. Critics and competitors, conspirators. Don't let them rob you of your joy. Paul's in prison. He's already down. These guys are kicking him while he's down, but look at his attitude. Verse 18. But it doesn't really matter. Circle that phrase. It doesn't really matter. The important thing is that in every way, whether for right or wrong reasons, the message of Christ is being shared. So I'm happy, and I will continue to be happy. Paul is not going to let these people control his attitude. They may criticize him, compete with him, conspire against him. doesn't matter. He's going to continue to be happy. Why? Because his focus is on Christ and sharing the gospel of Christ. Now, if you don't let other people control your attitude... If you don't let these other people rob you of your joy, what does that do in your heart and life? It makes you fearless. Fearless. Look what he says. Verse 28. Be fearless. No matter who opposes you. It will be a sign to them of their downfall and that God is with you and that he will save you. So if you want to be happy no matter what, you need to look at everything that's going on in your life from God's viewpoint. Recognize this is a witness to unbelievers. This is an encouragement to believers as I'm going through this. And then don't let other people control your attitude. The critics, competitors, conspirators, they're not going to stop me from being happy. I'm going to keep my focus on Christ. I'm going to be fearless. Verse 29, Paul says, For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for Him. We are in this fight together. You have seen me suffer for Him in the past, and you know that I'm still in the midst of a great struggle. Paul says it is a privilege to believe in Jesus Christ. It is a privilege to suffer for Christ. It is a privilege to suffer with Christ. Because you're never more like Jesus Christ than when someone's nailing you to a cross. Here's the third habit. I can be happy no matter what happens if I always trust God to work things out. Because when you're going through a problem, you've got two choices. You can worry or you can worship. You can panic or you can pray. If you worship more, you'll worry less. If you pray more, you'll panic less. It's the faith factor that happens in, in circumstances. That when we're facing problems or pain or picky people, pressure... Philippians 1.9, Paul says, I will continue to rejoice. Circle, I will. I will continue to rejoice. It's an act of the will. It's your choice to rejoice, no matter what the circumstances are around you. He says, I'll continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me and as the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, all that's happened will all turn out for my deliverance. In that one verse, Paul gives us four sources of strength that we can tap into, that we can trust in as we watch God work through our problems. And the first is, is the perspective. He says, I, for I know. It's what you know that keeps you going. It's not how you feel. Feelings come and go. It's what you know that keeps you in joy, that keeps you happy. And then he says, I have people praying for me. He says, your prayers keep me going. That's why it's so important, so important for us to pray for those who are suffering in our day, for us to be praying for the martyrs in our day because it is our prayers that give them strength. Remember a couple of weeks ago, Zach Terrell from Voice of the Martyrs was here with us. It's the number one request from those who are suffering for the cause of Christ around the world. Tell people to pray for us because they know that it is the prayers that give them strength. Number three, he says, I have the Holy Spirit helping me. The Holy Spirit keeps me going. One of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. If I'm going to be happy no matter what, I need that fruit of the Spirit evident in my life. And then he says, I expect to be delivered. I have a faith that God will work it all out for good in the end. No matter how bad it gets, it will end well. No matter how bad it gets, God will deliver me. So perspective, prayer, the Holy Spirit, and faith in God's deliverance. You know, it's not my job to work it all out. It's my job to be obedient. It's my job to respond the way God wants me to respond. And then I let God work it all out. And if I do that, I can maintain my joy. Finally, number four, I can be happy no matter what if I stay focused on my purpose, not my problems. You know, Paul is up there in years by now. He's a long way from home. He's in prison in Rome. He's awaiting death by execution. These are not exactly happy times for Paul. They've taken everything away from him. They've taken away his friends, taken away his freedom. They've taken away his ministry to travel around and plant churches. They've taken away his privacy. I mean, he's got somebody chained to him 24-7. But there is one thing they cannot take away from Paul, his purpose. They cannot take away his God-given purpose for life. Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychiatrist. He was taken to one of the Nazi death camps in World War II. All of his family, all of his friends were, were uh, gassed and murdered. It was a tremendously dark time in this man's life. And in his biography after the war, he said this. He says, I remember one day standing in front of the Gestapo stark naked, They'd taken away our clothes. They'd even taken away my wedding ring. I stood there with nothing at all. All of a sudden, I realized there was one thing they could not take away from me. It was my choice how I would respond. Nobody could take that away from me. I cannot control what other people do around me. I cannot control what other people do to me. But I can control how I will respond. Paul says, I'm going to focus on my purpose. Even though they'd taken everything else away, they could not take away his purpose. And what was his purpose? His purpose was serving God by serving other people. That's his purpose. Philippians 1, 22, he he describes the, the difficult situation that he's in. He says, sometimes I want to go to heaven, sometimes I want to stay here and help people. Verse 22, he says, if by continuing to live... I can do more worthwhile work for Christ, then I'm not sure which I should choose. I mean, he's old, he's in prison, he's awaiting execution. All he's got to do is give up. All he's got to do is give up his defense and Nero will execute him. He can go to heaven, he can be out of all this pain. But if he continues to fight for the cause of Christ, he can do more worthwhile work for Christ. And so he's struggling with which one should he choose. I'm pulled in two directions. I want very much to leave this life and be with Christ, which is a far better thing. But for your sake, it's much more important that I remain alive. Paul's not staying alive for his own sake. He's staying alive for the sake of other people. He says, I am sure of this, so I know that I will stay on with you all so I can add to your progress and joy in the faith. And Paul is such an amazing man. He not only has a purpose for living, he has a purpose for dying. Living or dying, either one, I win. Either one has a purpose. On earth, my purpose is to serve God by serving others. I mean, that's how you serve God. You can't even see God here. The way you serve God here on earth is by serving other people in the name of Jesus Christ. Paul says, when I'm alive, my purpose is to serve Christ by serving people. When I die, my purpose is to be with Christ in heaven. Either way, I win. But I'm staying alive for the sake of others. Selfishly, it would have been better for Paul just to give it up and go to heaven. There are no killjoys in heaven. No pain, no problems, no picky people, no pressure. He says, selfishly, I'm ready to die and go to heaven, but he says, I stay alive for the sake of others. Too many people think that happiness comes from self-gratification. But the problem is that you can never gratify the self enough. It is never enough to give you happiness and to give you real joy. And the mystery of the Bible, the mystery of the Christian life is is that happiness does not come from self-gratification, Happiness comes from self-sacrifice. Happiness comes from pouring your life out in serving other people in the name of Jesus Christ. And Paul sums up his purpose in life in verse 21. He says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He says, for me to live is Christ. Now, if someone came to you and asked you to fill in the blank on that, for me to live is... How would you fill in that blank? Now, the truth is, it's, you know, it's 1030 on a beautiful Sunday morning, and you guys are in church. So if somebody asked you for me to live is, you would probably fill that in with good stuff, okay? You know, I doubt that there's very many axe murderers or drug dealers in our midst, okay? Okay? So for me to live is, and then you'd fill it in with all kinds of good stuff. You may fill it in with family. You may fill it in with your spouse. You may fill it in with your job, which might be a very fulfilling and satisfying job. Job may even be helping other people, health care or protection or whatever. There's lots of good things that you can put into that statement. For me to live is. But if you put anything other than Christ in that slot, It's going to rob you of your joy. You're not going to be happy no matter what happens. Because anything else can be taken from you. Anything else can decay. Anything else can divert your attention from the focus, the purpose that God has for your life. God says, I want you to say, for me to live is Christ. And when you can do that, you can be happy no matter what. Let's pray together. I'd invite you today as we pray, just, just in your heart and mind, just to say, me too, Jesus, me too. Jesus, I, I want you to know that I often let the circumstances in my life determine my happiness. I allow the killjoys of pain, problems, pressure, picky people to, to come in and rob me of my joy. And so starting today, I want to practice the, the habits that Paul modeled God, I pray you'd help me to look at every problem in my life from your viewpoint, that that I would see that the way I handle the problem is a witness to unbelievers and an encouragement to believers. So God, let me respond in faith, whatever the problem. Help me to remember that that what others say does not control my attitude unless I allow it. That when my life comes into attack from those around me, that, that I would just recognize that they can't control my attitude no matter what else they do. And for the things that happen that I just don't understand or can't figure out, God, I want to trust you to work it all out for good. It's not my job to work it out. It's just my job to trust and obey. And so, God, I give it all to you. And I want you to help me to stay focused on your purpose for my life, not my problems. I want to see the the rest of my life as an opportunity to serve you by serving others. So that like Paul, when I get to the end of my life, I can say for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.